0: Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, the book of Jude is where we will be today. Um, Book of Jude is one page in most of your Bibles. Uh, What it lacks in length, it uh, makes up for with a powerful punch. Um, Like I said, this letter is very brief, taking up only a page in most of your Bibles. But it does teach us how God nourishes the soul of the Christian. Um, because the thing is, this life, it's a great life. Um, but it's going to come at us in a lot of different ways. And at many times it's going to be really hard, really difficult, really unsure. And it's, this book provides that encouragement. How do we live this life? How do we grow in the Christian life? There's a term some of you maybe heard before. Sanctification. Um, this process by which God is making us more like himself. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. And Jude does a great job of kind of explaining what sanctification looks like. And he talks, verse 3 says this specifically Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I, fa- I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Um, any cross country or long distance runners in here? We have a few. Uh, it, it's very easy, isn't it? Just real easy. Not so much. The Greek word, this being used here for contend, one of the words, it's the same word used for kind of the agonizing pain in a long-distance race. Uh, any of us can go out there and run 100 yards right now. Uh, go run 10 miles, a little different. There's a little different level of pain that comes if we actually finish 10 miles. The other way, the other way this Greek word for contend is used is a military word, kind of that hand-to-hand combat. And what Jude is doing is he's reminding the Christian that if we don't contend in this life, we're going to lose ground as sin entangles itself around us. And one of the things that I'm grateful Jude doesn't, he doesn't do, Martin mentioned it last night, is it's not just a, hey, try harder, do better, give your best effort, and then God will do the rest. It's not that. Rather, Jude's message, it's rooted in the beauty of the call. Because as a Christian remembers that they've been called it will nourish their soul as we fight for the faith, as we fight for our hearts, and as we fight for others. So, before we look at this glorious book, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be down here. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your creation that is surrounding us now. And Lord God, we pray now that if we open your word, that your word would do its work upon our hearts. Lord, that we would fall in love with you. That we would desire you more than anything else that you would nourish our souls this morning and throughout the rest of the week in jesus name amen Here the word of god this is the book of jude jude a slave of jesus christ and a brother of james to those who are called and loved by god the father and kept by jesus christ may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you dear friends Although I was eager to write to you about the common salvation we shared, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into proscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now I want to remind you, Though you know all these things, the Lord first saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And he is kept with eternal chains and darkness for the judgment of the great day, the angels who did not keep their own position, but deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as angels did. And serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. Yet Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. What they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feast. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wondering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. And Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers. Not having the Spirit, but you dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to protect you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, those of you just making your way in, we started. We're in the book of Jude, and yes, we started a little early. One of the things we're going to try and do is start a few minutes early so we can let you out a few minutes early to get in that lunch line um, at the end. So feel free when your first elective ends to come on over here and we'll get started. But hey, the first thing that we do, we see in the first two verses, the first way for the Christian to nourish their soul is to remember the call. Um, do any of y'all know, you get, you get one hint of who one of his brothers is, but do you know who Jude's other brother is, somewhat famous brother in Scripture? Who do you think? That's it. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is Jude's brother, James as well. So you got James and Jude that were written in the New Testament, brothers of Jesus. I mean, that's what you kind of think about, like, their brother was Jesus, um, and as you have siblings, you know that you've maybe shared a room with siblings, you've eaten meals with siblings, you've traveled with siblings. There's this close proximity, and there's a way in which you know each other because you're siblings. But what's interesting is that James and Jude, did they believe that their brother was the Son of God? No, not yet. Not until after his death and resurrection. I mean, imagine that. Some of you may think your brother or sister was, you know, you know they felt like they were perfect, they weren't. Your brother's sister is actually perfect. Never sin. And so for them, for them, one of the things that's interesting, like we said, is they didn't believe until after his death and resurrection. For many of us, we grow up in church. We grow up in Christian homes. We're surrounded by the truths of the gospel. but We never embrace it. And so Jude and James are a reminder. Just because we grow up around it doesn't mean we're necessarily a Christian. But we have to, and that's why Jude begins this letter with, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Called is one of the most frequent one-word descriptions of the Christian in the Bible. So what does it mean that the Christian is called? It's not just God's invitation to save us, but it's God's determination to save us. And that's one of the reasons why I love Reformed theology is because it emphasizes God's determination to save us. Because God's determination to save me, is stronger than years ago. Junior high girls wanted a Justin Bieber autograph so badly or a Jonas Brothers autograph, some still do today. LeBron James driving down the lane at scrawny little me. It's stronger than that. And the thing is, God's relentless pursuit of our sin wrecked lives has saved us. Not us coming to him first, but him coming to us first. And if we are a Christian, it's because God has graciously, purposely, and effectually called us. And if we let those truths begin to settle into the deep places of our hearts, it will start to breathe incredible life into our souls. And it will bring the nourishment that our souls are painting for. Um, Today, obviously, there's two things that have been emphasized to y'all a lot. Sunscreen and water. Hydration. And if you were unwise and went from lunch today until dinner tonight without drinking anything, how's your throat going to feel? Really cool. so dry. Sore, dry. You are going to be really thirsty. You're going to be panting for something. And again, if you've competed in any type of sport, have run for a long distance, especially on a day like today, you are dying for something. And for many of us, those, that's our souls. We are longing. We are thirsting. And we're always going to be thirsty until we remember this call. But a few things that we have to remember is, first, we are not Christians because we're morally superior. God is not measuring, here's, their good, here's our good deeds, here's our bad deeds. And as long as those good deeds outweigh, then we'll be okay. Because a lot of us, we can begin to think, hey, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. We are never morally superior. That is not why God loves us. And then the second thing, we are not Christians because we're intellectually superior. Um, God didn't say, hey, since you go to a Presbyterian church, since you believe in Calvinism, hey, since you're attending RYM Florida, now I will love you. I love my denomination. I love the Presbyterian church in America. And one of the things, I love Reformed theology, but sadly, one of the things that can happen in our churches is our heads can become a little too big and our hearts too small. We need to make sure that our hearts are always much bigger than our heads. Because the thing is, if we truly love the theology we talk so much about, then our hearts are going to be some of the most tender around, and we're going to be some of the most loving individuals around. So make sure small heads, big hearts. We'll talk more about the heart in a little bit. And then since it's God's determination to save us, it's a reminder that there's nothing more secure than the Christian being kept by God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no stronger security system on the face of the earth than the Christian being kept in the hand of God. Your parents can put all the trackers on you they want. Um, We even had one parent who put a tracker on on their student's car and then when that car got up to a certain mileage if it went above 55 miles an hour then the engine would shut off. So you know there's So much that your parents can do, but at the end of the day, being a parent now, is there is, my sons are more secure in the hands of God than they'll ever be in my hands. And we need to remember that. And that's why I love those lines of in Christ alone that say, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. If you are a Christian, take great confidence, take great joy that we are kept by God the Father. And the other thing that this short two-verse intro wants us to do is it's an invitation to review that remarkable calling. Uh, We are in the South, so I'm assuming, do we have a few college football fans in the room? (laughs) (laughs) But, <laughs> right <laughs> are they, are they, we, get that, we get that we you know roll time think won some national championships before. Go, dog? Maybe. go yeah. dogs. Well hey, the one thing we can agree is whether, yeah, whether you're an Alabama fan, Auburn fan, Georgia fan, or hey, the wonderful Miami. Big Twelve right here. Miami, there you go. Whatever it may be, there's a phrase that when we hear it, we just kinda sigh we're like, Oh, not again. Is the previous play is under yeah. Freddie? And we know that, hey, this is more stoppage. The game is getting longer. But usually, usually they get the call right. Not always, but usually. And if you think about instant replay, and what he's saying is if we review our lives, let's just say we just put our last six months of, of our lives on review. Is that a video that we want to say, hey, here, mom and dad, here's every moment of my last six months? Or is this one where we want to say, hey, You know, you can go talk to us and say, Krishan, hey, Krishan, can you show the video of my last six months to everyone at RYM? What are we going to see? Well, there'll be some good moments. We'll see some moments, hopefully, where we've seen sanctification and God at work. But what we're also going to see is there are so many reasons. i sent so many flags on the play. So many reasons for God not to love us. But God, being rich in mercy, has loved us. He has called us that is why Jude is wanting to root us in the beauty of the call. And it's one of those things, one last thing to ponder on this point, is there's a word called tolerance. And many people today are saying, hey, Christian, you need to be more tolerant. Just tolerate more things. One of the things that I rejoice in is that God was not tolerant with me. He didn't say, Justin, attaboy, you just do whatever you want. Instead, he says, Justin, I will not tolerate sin destroying you any longer. You are mine. I have called you. I am keeping you. And as we remember that, that will nourish our souls. The second way the soul is nourished is by fighting for the faith. And you see this in verses 3 through 19, 3 and 4 specifically. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I love Scripture for many reasons, but I love Scripture too because it is honest. It is telling us there will be opposition for those who love Jesus There are going to be those who oppose the faith because the gospel doesn't line up with their personal preferences. And the opposition towards the gospel, it's getting stronger in our days. Um, Even in the Bible Belt of the South, it is no longer popular to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. But one of the things with this opposition, they're going to try and take our eyes off of Jesus. And what they're going to do is say, look to this world. And this world around you is what will satisfy you. But the truth is, if we look to this world to satisfy us, we are going to be thirsty. Our soul will no longer be nourished. So how might that opposition creep in? If any of you have played sports, um, the opposing team usually doesn't say, hey, here's our plan how to beat you. Here's how we're going to take you down. Usually it's something far more subtle that we don't see coming and without a loud warning. And so in our lives, how does the enemy who we're told prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour? How does he come at us? It's usually subtle. And it could be so subtle as we begin to look for the approval of those around us instead of the approval that we already have in God the Father. We might find greater joy in a vacation than in the one who created the vacation destination. We might be more eager to turn on the football game after church than we ever were in going to church in the first place. We might long for a relationship like a boyfriend or a girlfriend. We may get more excited when someone follows us, comments on a post, likes something, than rejoice over God's salvation for sinners like us. Or we may begin to think that someone or something, sports, friends, wealth, stuff, will actually bring that lasting joy. What Jude does for us in verses 5 through 19 is he gives us a history lesson, a reminder of what can happen to those who listen to the world instead of the God who created them. In a sense, individuals who rejected the authority of God and were trusting with their own eyes. If you look in verse 5, you'll see Egypt is mentioned. Uh, was Egypt a powerful country at one time? Yeah, most powerful country in the world. And a lot of people would say, hey, if you can't trust in the future of Egypt, you can't trust in the power of Egypt, then you can't trust in anything, but if we've read the Bible, we know what happens. God sends how many plagues? Ten. Ten plagues, and then that last plague is the death of what? The firstborn. The, death of the firstborn, and finally, Pharaoh says, "Get out." Then he has second thoughts, and then God, as the Israelites are leaving, what does He part? The, rest the, rest the He parts the. I mean, that is, there's so many moments in Scripture. Man, video of that. I mean, I just would love to see. The reality of that. And then what happens as the Israelites cross? What happens to the Egyptians? Like they get water Has Egypt ever been a powerful world force after that? No. Not really. No. And so, but Egypt at one time was, but now because of sin, they no longer are. And then you get Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7, a city where people were very comfortable with sin. But what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, destroyed because of the perversion that existed there. And then you have Lot and his family are rescued. But what does Lot's wife do? Yeah, she turns around and she's turned into a pillar of salt. She's looking back on that city of sin that she loves so much. And that's the thing is it was their sin that ultimately destroyed them. And for Lot's wife specifically... She was more comfortable with sin inside that city of sin than outside of it with God. And then Jude continues. You have that history lesson with Cain and Balaam. Cain, we know, killed his brother Abel as he was looking at himself uh, in regards to instead of God. And then Balaam, you have um, God stops Balaam in his tracks with a talking donkey. I mean, Shrek before Shrek. Um, So the ways in which God is at work, feel free to go look that up. And then Jude helps us here by kind of summarizing the characteristics of those he's given the history lesson for, but then also, too, of those individuals who now may want to destroy our faith in verse 16. And catch what he says. Grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. These are individuals who are pretending to act this way to try and make life go better. In a sense, if we said these individuals, if they had a mission statement, what would it be? It would be, it's all about me. And the thing is, is when we make life all about me, it's going to starve our souls. And the thing that's interesting, even though Jude wrote this thousands of years ago, it sounds eerily similar to the world in which we live. Because as we scroll through social media, are there at least maybe a few posts that make us think people are thinking a whole lot about themselves? Well, we could probably say maybe more than just a few. Um, As we engage in conversation with people, does it maybe sometimes seem like they're more focused on being somewhere else or not even listening or participating in that conversation? And then if we even go kind of to, like, political coverage, if you watch CNN or Fox News, could we maybe say grumblers, malcontents, loudmouth boasters? Showing favoritism to gain an advantage. Uh, We can see these things on display in the world around us. Jude hits it. And what it's a reminder of, as men and women, we have always been prone to make it all about us. And when we make it all about us, it leads to those soul shriveling routes instead of soul-nourishing pursuits. And we're going to find that if we make this life all about us as the world around us is telling us to do, we're going to find ourselves empty and hollow one day um, as we ponder and this As kind of what happened. And that's why Jude gives example after example after example in 5 through 15 of individuals or groups who trusted with their own eyes and had no desire to contend for the faith. So if we're going to nourish our souls, we have to remember the call and we have to fight for the faith as we say, it's all about Jesus. The third way the soul is nourished we see it in verses 20 and 21 is by fighting for our hearts. Um, by God's grace, this is the 13th year I've been in youth ministry. And over the years, I've had a lot of great conversations with parents. And one of the things that I have heard over the years, I've had parents come up, hey, can we have that talk about, hey, don't do drugs, don't drink, um, you know, don't cuss, or hey, don't be mean to your siblings, or make sure that you respect your parents, kind of the do's and don'ts talk. And there can be some good in that. But the problem is, is a lot of times those, those types of talks are aimed at modifying a behavior rather than changing the heart. And one of the things, your parents to an extent now, they can modify your behavior. But one of the things, having been in youth ministry, having been around colleges, is there is that thing called college for a lot of people after high school or just post high school, is there's so many students that maybe look like they have? saving faith, but they get to college and their heart was never changed. And that's how we have to make sure that we're fighting for our hearts. And there's other parts of scripture that talk about this. Proverbs 4, 23, Luke 6, 45, where it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Um, I don't know if we do, don't think we do, probably not any medical doctors in this room, but we don't need a medical degree to know this. But What happens if the heart becomes sick and then eventually if the heart stops working? We die. So the heart stops working, it affects every member of our body. Yeah. And in the spiritual... Since, that's the same thing. Because from the heart, it flows everything. And that's why we have to fight for the heart. And one of the things I love about Jude is he tells us the importance of being built up and kind of how we build that heart up. Uh, I think it was about eight-ish, nine months ago, there was a pretty strong hurricane that came through here. But down the road, it came through very hard. Uh, Some of you may have seen some of those pictures of Mexico Beach. It looked like a bomb went off. I mean, homes just flat. But there's this one picture where you had this one house that was still there. And I mean, it looked, for the most part, unscathed. And what's interesting is there's this thing as you build a building, there's a thing called code. And you have to do certain things as you build this house, as you build a business building. And what they did is they went beyond code. Is they built this, they said, hey, we wanna build this house so that it withstands some of the strongest hurricane winds. And it did, as the other houses around them Literally, you just see the slabs. And so for the Christian, how are we built up? So there's the different seasons of life come at us that we're still standing. And so this is how we're built up. And one of the ways to think about a building is even though we build buildings quickly today, it's not just, hey, boom, here's a building. It's still going up piece by piece, even though it's fast. And so here's some of those pieces in verses 20 and 21 is we are beloved. God loves me. This is that remember the call. That is such an important piece of the building. Don't underestimate how much God loves us. We pray in the Holy Spirit. That's something we're going to talk a little bit more about prayer tomorrow. Um, One of the things is is a lot of you have busy lives. Um, They sometimes start even before the school days. You may go to practice. You may get a tutoring, additional coaching before school starts. And then at school, practice, come home, dinner, homework, and sometimes it's 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock before you're back in bed and it's doing the same thing. Prayer and the Word of God kind of get squeezed out. So we're going to spend some time talking about how we're built up tomorrow in prayer. And then we gather as the saints by going to church. Um, we need one another. That's one of the things I love about Christianity is God has wired us to need one another. We have a merciful God. There's another piece. Again, as I said a minute ago, we have the word of God. There's another piece. We have the righteousness of Christ by his blood. There's another piece. We have eternal life. This world will not forever be broken. And there are more pieces that God used to build the Christian up. And I said, we'll talk a little bit more about those Wednesday and Thursday. But remember, we are kept in the love of God. So that as the storms come at us, all the pieces God gives us to build us up so that we can contend for our hearts and then that fourth and final way that the christian soul is nourished is by fighting for others Um, one of the things some of you may be familiar with this for me i can remember certain places i was when i read certain passages in this passage here i can remember when i was a high school student there was Outside my hometown, there was a camp called Pine Cove Christian Camps, and there was this huge bluff that overlooked this lake. And I can remember sitting up there reading, doing a quiet time, kind of like y'all are doing quiet times in the morning um, with devotions, is I can remember reading these verses and then just jumping off the page where it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And what this language did is it brought that that visual picture to mind of someone walking kind of towards that burning building and not realizing it. And hopefully that natural reaction is not to nudge them in like some Auburn fans would probably like to do with Nick Saban. Is that natural reaction would be, let's grab them, let's pull them out. And that's what's at the heart of the Christian faith is a desire to pull others from their hellbound race to be used by God to see him save others. And that's one of the things I love. God in his grace gives us the opportunity to be a part of this work. And verses 22 and 23 show us how we love and fight for others. That first thing is have mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. The Lord is going to place many folks around us who don't know the Lord. And we need to remember we too, we once doubted. So we're patient and we pray that God would snatch them out of the fire. And to the person in here who's still doubting God's love for them, he really is this good. He really is this merciful. And he will take you from pretending through life to helping you contend in this life. The second way we love and fight for others, show mercy with fear. As we love those who struggle in the midst of their sin, don't forget how powerful sin is those same sins they're struggling with are sins that could take us down. Um, as Christians, we need to make sure we're never underestimating how powerful sin is. We need others praying for us. We need to be in the Word, prayer, and regular attendance at church. We need to have fellow brothers and sisters that we can share with and say, hey, pray specifically for this so that we don't get caught by some of those same sins. And then the third way is, he says, hate even the garments stained by the flesh This is not a message for us to not associate those struggling with sin, to not associate with non-Christians. What we are to do is we need to hate the fact that sin is keeping them from God. Hate the fact that sin is destroying them. And in Christian circles, this is something that we haven't done a good job of. A lot of times we will hate the individuals or hate the group instead of hate what sin is doing to them. We can really see this sometimes with regards to the sin of homosexuality. And sometimes we can hate a group or hate people instead of hating what sin is doing to them. Sometimes it may be our friends who maybe moved on to a party scene or have moved on from us, it seems like, and we begin to hate them instead of hating what sin is doing. And we need to make sure that we are hating sin and not the person. And that's what Jude is saying here. Be sympathetic to the pain and misery that is coming to others. So as we contend for others, it helps us contend in the Christian life so this truth will become true for them as it is for us. And then I love how Jude finishes this book. A lot of you may be familiar with your pastor giving a benediction at the end um, of a sermon on Sunday. And that's what Jude does here. He's summarizing what he said. And he does it in very beautiful language where he says, now to him who is able to protect you, from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. And I love the two things he says here, blameless and with great joy. He does it with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all things, for all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the time together. We thank you for the time in your word. And Lord God, we pray that you would continue to work that word deep into our hearts, Lord, that we would remember the call, how much you have loved us in Jesus Christ, Lord God, so that we would help us to fight for the faith, Lord, help us to fight for our hearts, Lord God, that our hearts would truly be changed. And Lord God, pray that we would have this overwhelming desire to see others come to know you, that you would help us to fight for them. Lord God, nourish our souls this week. Keep us safe and keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.